0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I've got a guest on today to talk all about Chinese medicine, hormone health, hormonal birth control, and acupuncture. Her name is Katria Thiel. She is a licensed acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner and the founder of Connected Healing. She works with patients in person and in her clinic in Southern Wisconsin and across the globe online through virtual one-on-one consults and group programs. She specializes in helping women who have tried everything to heal their hormones and balance their cycles, which is something that I like to do as well. So it sounds like we're going to get on pretty well today. So
1: welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, you specialize in a ton of different things and have many interests and passions. So we're going to cover a few of them today. But to start off with, could you tell us a bit about your story and your journey into more of this like holistic, natural world? Did you have a personal health issue or have you always been interested in some of these things?
1: Sure. So I, I grew up in a family that was always a little bit more geared towards natural health and wellness. Like I started going to the chiropractor when I was 10. um, And we, I'm I'm the oldest of four. And I thankfully didn't have a ton of health issues, but some of my younger siblings did. So through the years, my mom specifically did a lot of research and learned a lot about, you know, um, eating differently. And you know, it kind of started from there with the, her, just her research, trying to figure out how she could help my siblings. And then of course we all benefited from that. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And I actually thought that I wanted to be a chiropractor for a lot of years when I was growing up. And then I realized that I would need to go to Western medical school in order to do that. And that just wasn't going to be a good fit for me. It was, it just didn't feel in alignment with my beliefs and you know, what I felt to be true from a, um, you know, a, a whole health perspective. So I went into college not knowing what I wanted to do and then my freshman year of college kind of the middle of the year, I had what I call a divine intervention Google search moment where I don't even know what I was looking for on Google but I ended up coming across an acupuncture school that was about a half hour from where I grew up. And I next time I was home on break from school, I toured it and I just immediately like deep in my soul knew this is the thing I'm supposed to do. And that's where, that's really where it started. It was just so clear and simple. So my personal journey with acupuncture kind of evolved. It was interesting timing that I was going through some health issues as I started acupuncture school. So I got to my, one of my professors um, told me in the first few weeks of, of school, she said, you are in two master's programs at once. You're in the one, you know, healing yourself and dealing with what you've got going on personally and then the actual academic master's program. So you've got your plate full, but I know you can do this. And I'm, I actually wouldn't have had it any other way because to experience firsthand how the medicine works as you're learning it in real time, I think was, was overwhelming in, the, in that time, but it was such a gift, you know, looking back. I think it gave me just such a, such a cool perspective on the medicine.
0: I can totally relate with your story as well because a similar thing (laughs) happened to me um I was yeah googling away I knew that I always wanted to be in the health industry but it started off more as like social work and nursing and then I was like no it's not really for me it's not what I want to do Mm -hmm. and I've always loved food and then I went to see a nutritionist but I was googling like nutrition schools and things there was one 30 minutes from where I live the open day was the very next day when I was already oh. heading the anyway. I was already in the city and it was open. Um, it was like the open day um, and enrollment day. So I went along and I just knew intuitively as well that it was meant to be. So everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. <laughs> and learning, yeah, healing myself whilst learning. Um, some people were just on the course to heal themselves. But once you know what you do, you really want to just spread the word and help others. But what are some of the main symptoms or conditions that acupuncture can help with
1: it's really it's really a systemic medicine so for those who might not be familiar it's it's really just a different Chinese medicine is really just a different way to look at the body as a whole so I would say there are a few things that I wouldn't seek out Chinese medicine treatment for like if I break my arm I'm still probably gonna go get the bone set and get a cast on and you know those kinds of things but I would say Chinese medicine really shines in anything that is chronic, that Western medicine is having trouble figuring out that, um, you know, you're having symptoms that are kind of leaving you falling through the cracks uh, in terms of Western medicine. But that could be anything from, you know, a a long-term pain condition to a digestive issue, hormone imbalance, and, you know, the the symptoms that come as a result of that, fertility issues, uh, mental health, you know, really... I think it's because it's such a systemic medicine, you can heal multiple body systems at once and in conjunction with each other, which is the way that the body is really meant to be addressed anyway.
0: And what is the science behind it? Like what are those little, I'm sure people have seen the, the little needles and it looks very scary, but it's honestly yeah. not <laughs> at all. And it's not painful or anything like that. Um, right. But what's the science behind it? Like what are those needles actually doing?
1: Sure. So from a Chinese medicine, I'll, I'll kind of go through it from my Chinese, Chinese medicine answer, and then my Western medicine answer. And then that kind of gives people a really clear perspective. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, the body is like one big circuit of energy. And there are sort of offshoots of energetic pathways that run through the body that help your body to function optimally. And some of them are in charge of digestion. Some of them are in charge of, you know, your your pain responses, they're in charge of all different things. and Western medicine that would be likened to the nervous system. Um, so when when things are flowing smoothly, when that circuit of energy is running without interruption, without um, without blockage, without imbalance, the body is free from disease. But that's almost always not the case because of various lifestyle factors and just, being a human in society, the body is, you know, dynamic, and things are always changing. And so when there is a blockage or a disturbance in the flow of energy within the body, that will over time manifest itself as different physical symptoms. So acupuncture comes in and uses specific points along those energy pathways to sort of regulate and rebalance the flow of energy, so that the body can be returned to It's optimal function because in a perfect world, the body should be able to heal itself. So we just kind of help it to get to a place where it can actually do that job and do it better than it might be able to do on its own. From a Western medicine perspective, acupuncture does things like reduce inflammation, increase organ function, um, balance and regulate the nervous system. A lot of us spend way too much time in fight or flight response because we are chronically under stress as our brain would perceive it and when we're in that fight or flight uh, mode we can't digest our food as well we can't sleep as well we can't our body can't heal itself as well so even just the simple shift of helping to switch from that stress response to more of a place where the body can heal itself more effectively is so major for the healing of all kinds of things
0: and obviously it's effective just on its own people go for acupuncture weekly or maybe um, more often than that in the initial stages but um, is it even more beneficial if people also change the diet and take supplements and do other things, or can you get the results basically just doing acupuncture alone?
1: I, I am a fan of using as many modalities and making your, um, making your healing plan as comprehensive as possible. So I think that's different for that looks a little bit different for everybody. Everybody's got a different amount of bandwidth that they can devote to their healing at any given time. And everyone's body responds differently to, uh, to various stimulus, whether that be changes in food, you know, acupuncture treatment herbs. So I, on a case by case basis, I evaluate that with my patients and, you know, kind of decide what's going to be the, what's going to get us over the therapeutic threshold in each specific situation. But in general, definitely anything that you can do to, have a more comprehensive approach so that you're really integrating your healing into your lifestyle rather than just, you know, I go to acupuncture once a week and then I kind of, you know, just don't really think about my body other than that. The more that you can be in conversation with your body and in response to your body's needs on a daily and even hourly sometimes basis, the better. So that's what I that's what I try to encourage my patients to do. And like I said, everyone has a different bandwidth for that. So some people are more able and uh, ready to take that on in a, in a deeper way. And for some people, it's just that first step. It's that introduction, which is no less important.
0: I mean, yeah, someone's in chronic pain, can't get out of bed or hardly right. moves. They aren't gonna be in the kitchen, like meal prepping and all of this stuff. So yeah, maybe starting off just with acupuncture. And then as they start to feel better, maybe they'll be motivated to go and exercise and eat healthier. Um, exactly. And yeah, I I did initially start off working alongside an acupuncturist doing the nutrition side of things. He specialized in fertility and hormone health and he was getting amazing results just with him alone, just the, just the um, acupuncture practice. But when we added in the, the nutrition side of things and maybe just the baseline supplements, they were getting even better results. So yeah, independent um, to, the, to the person. But I mean, we have we get so many insults thrown at us these days with right environmental toxins and GMOs and all of that. We want to just do the best
1: that we can. Um, Absolutely. When we can. What about acupressure? How is that different? So acupressure, basically, there are many different ways that you can stimulate an acupuncture point. So the goal of stimulating an acupuncture point is just to achieve a therapeutic effect. And you can do that with a with an acupuncture needle, you can do that with simple pressure with a thumb and finger, you can do that with magnets, you can do it with, you know, electrostim. there's lots of different tools that can help you get to that place of achieving a therapeutic result. So acupressure is just as it sounds, it's the application of pressure to an acupuncture point to stimulate it for whatever effect, the desired effect is.
0: And is that something that your clients or patients would do between sessions?
1: Yes, I'll often, I'll often incorporate that in. Like, for example, I work with a lot of uh, women's health and fertility and often as a result of that, pregnancy. And with pregnancy, a lot of times comes some morning sickness. So I will often, there's a point that's uh, located three finger breaths from the wrist crease on the center of the inside of the arm. Uh, that's really wonderful for nausea of all kinds, but specifically for morning sickness. So I will often teach my pregnant patients where that point is so that when the time comes that they're, you know, having, having those problems in real time, they can't always be seeing me every day. Right. So when they have that, they have a tool then that they can, they can utilize in their own, in their own time. And it's something, it's something that's so accessible for anybody at any time. You always, you always are where your body is and you always have a hand that you can be using. So, you know, driving to work or, um, you know, sitting in the middle of a zoom meeting in, in your day or wherever you find yourself, you can always utilize acupressure, which I think is what makes it so fabulous.
0: And is this also what the emotional freedom technique kind of draws from?
1: I don't know if you have EFT
0: yes. tapping. Is that on yeah. the
1: acupressure points? It is. Yeah. There are specific points that are used. Actually when I first, um, learned about it I was watching a YouTube video of someone you know doing an an EFT protocol I was like wait a minute I know those points (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it absolutely it's the same those same points and some of the some of the points that are used are ones that are recognized from a Chinese medicine perspective as being incredibly powerful points for moving energy and moving you know emotional energy in particular so that's why they're super effective for that
0: I mean the one on the wrist is a little bit more subtle than the like head tapping you look like a bit of a crazy person if you were to do that in the middle of (laughs) in the middle of a city center (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah that one if anyone's wondering what we're talking about you can google like EFT emotional freedom technique that's often used to relieve anxiety and trauma and energy blocks Um, but then there are specific acupuncture points for like headaches and migraines and all sorts of things Um, so you could learn that from um, a practitioner And I'm guessing as part, or I'm not sure, as part of your acupuncture studies, did you learn TCM, Chinese medicine, alongside of that, or did you do additional studying afterwards?
1: That was all, it was all sort of rolled into one. So it started out, and this is the part that's so important the, the finding and utilizing of acupuncture points really isn't the hard part. I mean, you could tell, like I, like I said, I can just instruct someone in a few minutes to find an acupressure point and stimulate that. But the, the real value of the medicine is understanding the, is understanding the interplay between the organ systems within the body so that you can then choose the right points. So the foundation of my Mm -hmm. training is in, you know, the Chinese medicine, uh, perspective on how the body operates in you know in in relation to itself and in relation to its environment and that is so so crucial.
0: And I have had another episode with, I don't know if you know her, Kimberly Kelly, um episode number no. 58. She does, I think, similar to what you do. And um, so if after listening to this, you want to learn more about acupuncture, Chinese medicine, then definitely tune into that one. I'll link it in the show notes. But can you give your overview of like the five elements and how they kind of interact with each other in case anyone hasn't listened to that episode?
1: Sure. So five element theory is so, it's so cool. It is this idea that there are five elements that exist in all all living things, in, in the environment, in our, our own human bodies and in everything that exists around us that govern our behavior, our health, our relationships. So it can be, it's this lens that you can look through, uh, to understand not only health, but also the, like what's going on in the world around you and even relationships, which is so cool. I work with a lot of, uh, a lot of parents and children. And a lot of times we will talk in terms of the five elements, you know, what is the relationship between parent and child and where, where can things be adjusted so that we can harmonize the relationship. So the five elements are, wood, fire, earth, metal and water. And there are organ systems that correspond to each of those elements. And there are, um, you know, foods and uh, sounds and seasons and all, all kinds of things that correspond to each of those organ systems. So it's, when you, when you can understand that you can integrate the sort of therapeutic nature of nature into, your into your lifestyle in a a really beautiful uh and comprehensive way
0: and is it similar to ayurveda where we're individually just more prone to be out of balance in one area like genetically or um, in terms of the doshas like for me in ayurveda i tend to be more of a pitta so i'm i'm prone to getting kind of like acne and reflux type symptoms and inflammation whereas there's other people who have a lot of issues with digestion and maybe feeling cold all the time and thyroid issues. Is that similar or can we just be thrown out of whack um, in any
1: way? It's totally, it's totally similar to that. That is, like I said, it's, it's this lens that you can look through to understand your body in a new way. So when you know that you are like your dominant element might be earth and that's how you, you know, that's where, that's where a lot of symptoms might show up for you. So like an earth type, person might have, might experience digestive issues. They might experience uh, uh, issues with their energy levels they might experience. And it can, it's, it's this really cool, it's this really cool way to understand and say, okay, because this is, because this is my, in my nature, because I have this sort of earth dominant, um, you know, body type or, you know, internal compass, I know now that I need to support that element specifically as I go through life so that I don't develop some of these, um, some of these health issues that would, that would happen to an earth element dominant person.
0: Do they have like opposing elements? So like fire or something, eating more like warming, fiery foods help?
1: Absolutely. So there's, um, there's a charts. There's some good charts, isn't there on Google? Absolutely. Yeah. There's the, it's called the five element star and there's, there are, um, there's a mother child relationship where each, uh, element is nourished and, uh, it's sort of a system of checks and balances where they, they keep each other in check. So, um, wood nourishes fire, fire nourishes earth, et cetera, et cetera. But then if earth, becomes deficient or you know is, is out of balance that will affect all the other organ systems as well so absolutely you can use the medicine of the other organ systems to help bring another into balance
0: Yeah that would make sense to me and I think your approach as well with hormone health even though we say that we specialize in hormones and periods and fertility that's really like the tip of the iceberg. We want to right. look underneath like supporting the gut health first and the liver detox and the nutrient levels. So that kind of feeding into each other, not just focusing on the the problem. Right. Indirectly, you will be doing that, but just fixing the body as a whole. Absolutely. And speaking of hormones, what is the um, TCM or Chinese medicine view of hormone imbalances? Like, what is going on internally?
1: So, like you just said, it's really it's really layered, um, and it's you know it's that way because the body is this complex system of organ systems that are all in this, uh, sort of conversation of checks and balances with each other all the time. So there are from a, from a Chinese medicine perspective, we're often looking at the kidney organ system, which is the foundation of our vital life force energy and governs a lot of our reproductive function and hormones. And then oftentimes we're also looking at the liver, which is in charge of, uh, moving the energy and blood throughout the entire body. And it, it, responds really negatively to stress in that it becomes, um, you know, stagnant and overburdened and stress as a, as a category, stress can look different for every individual. But, um, so there we see a lot of issues in terms of hormone health. We see a lot of, uh, PMS type symptoms and things like that coming up. And then we also look to the spleen, which governs digestion in Chinese medicine. So there's the foundational hormone and reproductive function there's the liver piece which is all about how is how is your body responding to stress and how how well and how smoothly are ener- is energy and blood moving through your body and how how well is your liver organ system functioning how much how much stress is it under and then the spleen we're looking at digestion so there's those are some of the common layers that will show up. And again, there could be others looking at specific individuals, but those, those three are pretty much always involved when there's a, com- when there's an issue with hormone health.
0: Someone might be confused when you say kidneys and spleen, like you never hear of those, but they sometimes have different meanings, don't they?
1: Right. So I'm not necessarily talking about your Western kidney as you would think of it. I'm talking about specifically the kidney organ system from a Chinese medicine perspective. So If you were to go to a Chinese medicine practitioner and they said, you know, there's, we're working on some things with your liver and we're working on some things with your spleen, that doesn't mean that you would go to a Western doctor and have them, you know, run labs Mm -hmm. and tell you that you're in liver failure. It's not, it's not that at all. It's looking at, it's really looking at the, what comes before you get to those places. A lot of times Chinese medicine can detect things sooner before you get to the sort of emergent place where western medicine can come in and help like a heart attack or you know liver failure or things like that you can catch it sooner because you're looking at these subtle these subtle symptoms and what they what they point to in the body rather than you know waiting for waiting for your waiting for your symptoms to get to a place where they explode
0: yeah you're never going to hear your doctor saying that you've got a spleen chi deficiency right (laughs) (laughs) right not going to happen. Um, and in terms of Chinese medicine, and it's probably different um, with everyone, depending on what the hormone imbalances is, what element is out of whack based on symptoms, but is there any general recommendations for diet and nutrition, like foods to minimize, foods to increase when it comes to hormonal health specifically?
1: Absolutely. One of the baseline things that I always tell women uh, when they're working on balancing hormones And this is in direct contradiction to what diet culture would tell us, right? We think, um, we think, we think of healthy foods and we think of like, you know, raw salads and, you know, smoothies and acai bowls and things that are generally cold. And actually from a Chinese medicine perspective, actually a lot harder to digest. So like we talked about, there's usually if not always, a digestive component looking at the spleen and how it's interacting with the other organ systems in, uh, in the conversation of hormone health. There's usually always that piece. So by addressing, the, uh, by addressing digestion, you're affecting downstream how, how your hormones play out throughout the month. So the recommendation that I always make is to eat and drink more warm and cooked foods as opposed to raw and cold. You can think of cooking as a a degree of pre-digestion and you lightening the load on your digestive organs. So anything you can do to make your digestion uh, go, go more smoothly, that's going to increase nutrient absorption, which is going to, uh, which is going to affect your hormones downstream. So that is, that's like the, the easiest to me, that's one of the easiest things to change is to start you know, not having ice in your water anymore, not drinking iced coffee, maybe. And, um, you know, having some having some type of a warm cooked meal, especially at breakfast, you want, you know, you want to stoke the digestive fire specifically at the beginning of the day to set the tone for the rest of the day. And this is particularly important for women who notice signs of of, uh, digestive distress, according to Chinese medicine, which would be things like bloating and reflux and um you know constipation diarrhea all of these kinds of things can indicate that of course your your digestion is in distress and then that's impacting these other organ systems and their ability to do their job in reproductive function
0: yeah because digestion i think is like is it 40 percent of your daily energy energy expenditure so right and that's huge yeah take the pressure and the load off your gut it has more resources to heal and kind of clean up any damaged cells but is the warm food and drink just while you're and, and cooked just while you're trying to heal or is it long term as well to stay hormonally healthy long term because we hear about like eating seasonally and obviously right. i'm thinking of people in like really hot countries right eating soups and stews and all of that hot tea can we eventually work towards eating more salads and things or is it best to um primarily do cooked and, and warm
1: foods so this is where Chinese medicine is so cool, because again, you're always in conversation with your environment. So if you live in, let's say, Alaska, where it's cold most of the time, your nutritional, your the thermic nature of your food, whether whether most of your foods are warming or cooling in their effects on your body, would need to be at a different balance than if you live somewhere where it's warm the majority of the year. So when you're in the acute phase of healing hormones, you're looking more specifically at your internal pattern and your, like your specific individual, uh, you know, pattern of disharmony and working to working to regulate that. So that's, that would be where you'd be focusing more specifically on that warm stuff all the time. And then once you kind of get yourself to a place where you're once again, in more harmony with your environment and the world around you, then you can start to take into consideration. Okay. Well, it's the middle of winter. So I'm going to definitely stay on top of warm and cooked foods so that I can balance out the cold effects of my external environment. And then as the weather starts to warm up, you can start to introduce more, more salads, more, you know, cold or raw foods. So it's just first getting first getting to the bottom of, the um, of the of the issue that's causing symptoms for you and then you can start to as your body is able to be in in flux with the changes of the seasons and things like that then you can really start to take that into account so long term exactly what you said you can you can use your um you can you can use your environment to help you inform the choices that you're making with your diet which is really cool
0: so there's not one diet to stick with forever it's all about being adaptive
1: Right. Humans are, humans are dynamic as is the world around us. And the best, in my opinion, there's no magic bullet diet. There's no one way that works for everyone. And the best thing that you can do is learn how to understand the messages that are coming to you from your body and understand how your external environment is impacting your body and put those two together and say, okay, because of these factors and these factors, it's going to serve me really well in this season of my life to eat this way and then when the weather changes or when I've you know done uh when I'm noticing that my symptoms of digestive distress are are dissipating then I can start to bring in you know some other foods and just being in conversation with your body in that way is really the key I think.
0: Yeah listening to the symptoms as messages and communication. Do you love coffee but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mould and pesticides which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mould free and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of Reishi Mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers, such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the Reishi can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question, Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes, and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do. But now let's get back to the show. How does one know if um, hormonally they're in a good place? Because I think so many women think that PMS is normal or that they're bloated every day and that's just how it is. Um, How do do we know when we're actually in a pretty good place and and can start to change the diet a little bit? What are some signs, like good signs to be looking for and maybe some not so good or not normal, but maybe common signs?
1: Right. So you're exactly right that most women have, we're sort of indoctrinated with this belief from a very young age that being a woman is inherently about suffering. You know, you have, you get your period and immediately everyone's like, oh, well now you're going to, you know, you're going to be miserable for the next 30, 40 years of your life. Have fun with that. Um, So we really have to unlearn that because that's not, that's not the truth at all. What's true is that the uh, women's health is cyclical. And when you're able to be in conversation and work in response to the cha- the cyclical changes that are happening to within your body and in the world around you throughout the month, your period and your cycle as a whole can really be symptomless. PMS and, like you said, bloating, irritability, um, you know, mood swings, all of even like hormonal acne that comes around your period. All of these things are signs that. The body is struggling a little bit to stay in rhythm with the cycle. So what would actually be, what would be common is, you know, we think that the, that the PMS we experience, the mood swings, the anxiety, the depression right before, whatever it looks like for you, migraines, headaches, et cetera. We think that that's normal, but it's just so common. And what would be considered a, what would be defined as a normal cycle from a Chinese medicine perspective would be one that is generally symptomless and painless and really um just gentle and flowy.
0: Like easy, doesn't need to have time off work, don't need right. to be reaching for painkillers. Um a little more effort goes into it like packing tampons or pads and maybe you are a little bit more tired than usual, but it shouldn't be an extreme fatigue where you right. can get out of bed. There are right. symptoms that fluctuate with our mood and our productivity and we can kind of use that as our superpower um but yeah it shouldn't be any of that we i think we're both proof that it can be pretty easy time of the month it's not the Absolutely. the monthly curse like we're taught
1: right and just like you said there's de- there's a degree of shift within the body that is normal and i think that you know for example like on on day 1 of your period you might notice like a 10 or 15% decrease in your energy level. And that would be something for you to honor rather than, you know, rather than be concerned about, but if it's like a 60, 70, 80% decrease in your energy level, that's where we're getting into symptom territory. So with, with the, with the body being cyclical, things will change and you can learn what is normal. And it's that degree of symptom change, I feel it, that really can be helpful. We don't the, if we set the expectation that we are, we're going to have like, you know, just this flat line, same ever, feeling the same every day. That's just it's not realistic for humans and specifically not for women, mm-hmm. because of all of the hormonal changes that are happening throughout the month. But you, the the degree of what you experience in terms of, you know, I'm feeling just a little bit fatigued today, and I'm going to listen to that and take it easy, versus I, you know, spend four days before I get my period wanting to bite everyone's head off, you can see the degree of difference there where you might, uh, where, where you might want to look at that a little bit deeper if you're, if you fit yourself into that second category.
0: women are definitely way more cyclical but
1: men are usually
0: a little bit more simple
1: and static but
0: even with the seasons and right. um, with health issues if they pop up then they'll still have to change some things so we definitely adaptive Certainly. and another thing that there's a lot of myths or misconceptions or misunderstandings about is the hormonal birth control pill or just hormonal birth control in general there's a time and a place i think if someone wants to go on it that's fine but i think they should be taught the maybe side effects, things to look out for, ways to support their body whilst taking it. I don't know if you agree with that. What are your thoughts on birth
1: control? Uh, To me, the most important thing is to start, uh, is to start getting it so that women have a more of a true informed consent about what they're doing to their bodies and the choice that they're making, because it can't, it can't really be a choice if you don't know what you're choosing. If you don't know that when you take this pill every day, it's having you know, it's, it's blocking the conversation between your brain and your ovaries, and it's affecting your gut health and it's affecting your, even your circadian rhythm. It's affecting the way that your body perceives stress. It's affecting, it's affecting your body in so many more ways than just, I can't get pregnant because I'm on the pill. So I agree with you that if, if someone, if a woman chooses that, it absolutely should be a choice and you should have, you, you should have the opportunity to choose that if it feels like the risk benefit is worth it to you, but unless you actually know what the risk benefits are, how could you ever make that choice in an informed way? And I think, you know, probably this is the same for you. Every single day I see and hear women saying, if I had known what this was doing to me, I never would have chosen it. So that's a pretty clear indicator that there's widespread, uh, disinformation misinformation and lack of informed consent about hormonal birth control and what it's doing to the body and to me that is that is the root of the issue because if women don't know what they're doing to their bodies there's just no uh you know that's just not a good place to be for any of us Mm
0: -hmm. and what would you recommend to someone who doesn't want kids now or ever but yeah doesn't want to get pregnant but doesn't want to take the pill maybe they're on it now but they want to come off and they're scared or maybe they've been considering going on some sort of hormonal birth control, but after listen, listening to this conversation, they realize maybe it's not the best option. What other options do they have?
1: There, you have more options than you think is the first thing that I would say. A lot of times, you know, hormonal birth control is what we hear about, what we, what we know about, what's talked about. But uh, there are other options, namely the fertility awareness method is a, is a huge one. And if you were to go, I've, I've heard many different stories from many different women, but if you were to go to your, um, you know, your, your gynecologist and tell them that you're using that a common response would be, Oh, that doesn't your work. I'll see, you, I'll see you in three months when you're mm-hmm. pregnant, you know? Um, but the thing about that is, and I get, I keep saying this, it's about being in conversation with your body. So it's a lot, it's a lot easier than you think it would be to understand what your specific signs are for your fertile days. And there's, you know, you can't get pregnant all month. It's, it's, you know, there's like a a six day window ish where you, where you can actually even become pregnant. So if you can learn to identify the signs and that's what the fertility awareness method is all about um, for anyone who might not be familiar, it's about using, you know, there's different methods, but body temperature, cervical mucus um, in order to in order to notice what days of the month you're actually fertile, and then using other, you know, maybe just abstaining on those days, or using using different barrier methods. Um, but yeah, that's it's another. There's a lot of uh, misinformation about hormonal birth control, and a lot of misinformation about fertility awareness method and its efficacy because it's actually quite effective when done appropriately. I tend to recommend if I have patients who are who have been on hormonal birth control for a long time and they want to come off of it and they're considering fertility awareness method. I, I recommend that they begin, uh, begin charting and begin, you know, um, tracking their cycle right away and give themselves, you know, maybe three to six months of cushion where they're using some other method of contraception while they're learning to, while they're learning to recognize those signs of ovulation and those signs of their fertile window so that they aren't having and oops before they really understand how to use the method
0: because it can take months for you to start ovulating or start producing cervical mucus after being on the pill especially if you've been on it for like 10 20 30 years like some of my clients have right so yeah it takes a while just to for things to like the brain and the ovaries to start communicating again and your temperatures and things might be a bit all over the place and just for the peace of mind and so that you're not anxious and crazy for those first few months just let your body do its thing and then you'll start to notice your your collection of patterns and symptoms that your body gives you but if anyone's interested in learning more about the fertility awareness method because that's something that I promote as well I have an episode number 29 with Lisa Hendricks and Jack Um, it's from a while ago but really in depth we talk about those three kind of main markers the cervical mucus the temperature charting the cervix position as well Um, or there's a book called taking charge of your fertility it's like the bible i think all women should read that just to know how how much wisdom the body has the female body but yeah i agree i've seen that as well and i just wish the the information was out there on some of the the downsides because you might be told i was told like there's a slight increased risk of certain types of cancer but your risk factors are very low but i wasn't told that my hair would start falling out that i'd get like insane nutrient deficiencies and leaky gut and bacterial overgrowth so my immune system would be messed up so right if you choose to to go on that maybe you can take some sort of multivitamin or probiotic if that's the right thing for you but there are different options as well if that's not what you want to go ahead with right um, and supporting your clients or patients coming off birth control obviously acupuncture if you're in person with them um, and focusing, I'm guessing, on gut health, liver detox, just all of the basics, restoring deficiencies.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's all of those things. And depending on depending on each person's timeline, you know, we might spend we might spend some time working on liver detox and supporting gut health before they come off of the pill. Or if they're like, I need to get off it now, then we just address these things in real time. So it depends, but exactly what you said the the liver is is affected in a big way the gut is affected in a big way and really you know the nervous system as a whole which is why acupuncture is so wonderful for hormone health and for the um you know the transition off of hormonal birth control so yeah it's exactly that
0: and how amazing would it be if everyone like your mom educated themselves got themselves as healthy as possible before going into pregnancies and teaching their kids all of this stuff, not that they need to become an acupuncturist like you, but just like staying healthy, living their best life. Um, And even, yeah, even if you don't want kids for another 10 years, like really start to pay attention to some of this stuff because you can never start too early. But I always recommend at least six months after coming off the pill, ideally one to two years for that preconception prep, just because the pill really depletes you um, on many different areas.
1: Right. Yeah. And that will not only affect your... Health in that time. But then when you're thinking about conceiving a child, then we're talking about what are those, what are those long-term nutrient deficiencies and hormone imbalances going to do? What effects are those going to have on the health of, you know, the child that you're conceiving? And you want, of course, it's easier, I think, for a lot of women to prioritize their children's health, even from the moment of conception. So that is often the motivating factor. It's like, you know, I of course want to have a healthy baby. So what can I do? And you're exactly right. It can take you know, six months, a year, two years to really make that, uh, really like level the playing field again from that, that place of deep deficiency as a result of long-term, uh, hormonal birth control use.
0: So if you're going into pregnancy already like 50, 60%, in terms of vitality, it's just going to drop, drop even more. Maybe your diet's not going to be the best because of, um, food aversions, sickness, right health issues during pregnancy, the labor is like the most intense thing the body will ever go through. And then there's the sleepless nights and breastfeeding potentially, that's just going to drain you. So at least getting yourself, maybe nobody's perfect, but like at least 78% vital before going into that, it's always going to be for the best, not only again, for your health short term, but also long-term in terms of disease risk um, and health imbalances in the future.
1: Right. Yeah. I always use the analogy that you know, pregnancy is like a marathon. And would you go into a marathon having, you know, being dehydrated and not having eaten well and not having slept and not have, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't set yourself up for failure in that way for that type of a marathon. So thinking of how, how you can support yourself through the marathon that pregnancy really is and how, how depleting that can be over that, you know, nine month period. Exactly. If you're starting at 50 or 60 going into pregnancy, you're ending, you know, really getting into kind of dangerous territory in terms of your own health. So it's no wonder that in the postpartum season, so many women have issues with things like, you know, postpartum anxiety and depression and, um, you know, trouble, trouble with breastfeeding and milk. Production thyroid and issues are a big thyroid one. issues. Exactly. Yeah all of these things because and you know it seems like it seems to come as a surprise like you know why can't my body do this well if you if you look back and say okay I started pre-pregnancy at you know sort of this disadvantage already and then was depleted for 9 months ending in a majorly depleting event that is you know labor and birth it's it's no surprise at all it's you know and, and that's the i think that's the missing piece of the conversation in the mainstream narrative is you know we're not one how are we coming into this and two how are we leaving it and three how are we supporting how are we supporting ourselves and nourishing what's lost in the postpartum season
0: and for you as a mum am I right you're a mother of one yeah yeah Yeah. do you have any tips for anyone who's currently pregnant or maybe new mothers just on like what you've learned and how to stay healthy um with the short amount of time the energy that you do have
1: yeah, absolutely. I think to, I, Chinese medicine has this, uh, this concept in the postpartum period called sitting the month. And it's actually like you know, a 30 to 40 day window where when you're, when you're newly postpartum, you, your only job is to nourish baby. People are making you meals. People are you know, doing all of your household chores and you know, everything is done for you except for recovering and taking care of baby. And so it's not, I I certainly wasn't able to do that to to that extreme. Like I, you know, I I had to go back to work and, you know, various other things, but I was as conscious as I could possibly be about prioritizing sleep and prioritizing proper nutrition. And there's a great book, um, the first 40 days it's called. And that book, if you're, if you are pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant and you're wanting to look ahead to how you can nourish yourself postpartum, that's a really beautiful book uh, to get, uh, to get into so that you can start the, the key thing for me was really being gentle with myself. And I don't think we, I don't think we hear enough about that as, as a whole, but especially in the postpartum season, because it's all about baby, but you're a person too, and you can't take care of baby if you're falling apart. So, like I said, prioritizing sleep, prioritizing nutrition, prioritizing my own mental health. I, made sure because I've watched so many women struggle through that time and don't get me wrong it's a there are moments of struggle no matter what when you're a new mom but making sure that those things are at the forefront will make it a lot easier for you yeah that's
0: really important and this kind of ties into I always end the interviews with a few questions for my guests so the first one was something that you do I'm not sure how old how old is your child now she's three Okay. So what's something that you do daily now to just keep your hormones in harmony?
1: I still prioritize sleep above yep. all else, because if you're not sleeping, you, you can't really do much to outweigh the the basics, sleep, nutrition, things like that. You can't out supplement poor sleep. You can't out supplement, you know, eating foods that are, um, you know, causing problems within your body. So to me, that's the most important thing. And that has looked different over the course of, the last three years but always prioritizing sleep and always prioritizing the food that i'm putting in my body because basically everything everything goes downhill if those two mm-hmm. things aren't there so that is, true. that is that is the thing or the two things i guess that i am super vigilant about and that are non-negotiable for me and they have to be as a as a mother as a business owner as someone who takes care of of other women every day I, I need that and we all need that and so making that that would be my my advice make that your find find those couple of things that are your non-negotiables and be absolutely vigilant about them
0: I'm sure it seems like feels selfish in the moment but it's ultimately more beneficial for you your career your family you can't pour from an empty cup that old saying, but it's totally true. But with sleep and you, is it more of like, I need this many hours or is it, I have this many hours. I'm just going to do the most that I can to get into the deep phases of sleep. Have you noticed a
1: difference with those? I, I think for me, I know I'm not a person that can function on less than seven and a half to eight hours. Ideally, I, you know, it's, it's between seven and nine. It's never, never, never less than seven. That is, that's my hard, hard limit, but I always, um, I always try to shoot for at least eight and, um, that works, that works really well for me. And also listening, like for example, last week, every day around like seven 30, like I was coming home from work, getting my daughter to bed at seven 30 and struggling to stay awake. And so for those, when those moments come up, I don't, nothing else gets done. And I go to bed because Mm -hmm. I know that there's a reason that my body is, is doing that. Normally I wouldn't go to bed for probably another two or three hours, but when that comes up, I'm not asking myself, how can I give myself more energy to push through what my body's telling me? I'm saying, you know what, there's a reason for this. I may not completely understand it. Like it didn't totally make sense to me why I was so tired last week, but you can't always know. You can't know if you've been in contact with a pathogen that your body's trying to fight off, or if your allergies are flared up and your immune system is working on that, or whatever the case might be. Um, so that, so I have that benchmark of somewhere between seven and nine hours, but also above that listening to my body. So if I need 10 hours one night, I'm going to let myself get it. If I need 10 hours for a week, I'm going to let myself get it. And that is there's, I can't think of anything that would be more important for me and and for most for you know, most people it's
0: honestly most people um, right. even if they don't think that they have sleep issues maybe they're tossing and turning all night they're getting up to go to the bathroom multiple times they're waking up still tired that's a sign that you haven't had good quality sleep even if you've been in bed for nine ten hours right so Absolutely. you can still be sleep deprived Yes. is there a book that you can recommend on any of the subjects that we've covered today so either um, Chinese medicine acupuncture or um, birth control hormonal health
1: sure so as I mentioned the first 40 days is a great mm-hmm. one for the postpartum season I can't think of the author's name off the top of my head for that one it's going to come to me as soon as we're as soon yeah as we're I'll link it here in the I'm show notes <laughs> for anyone who's wondering <laughs> um but another one that's great is uh Beyond the Pill by Dr. Jolene Brighton that's a really yeah. fabulous book if you're in that place where you're like okay I am considering going on hormonal birth control, or I've been on it, or I'm considering coming off of it. Basically, if you have any questions around hormonal birth control and what it might be doing to your body, or if you have a child who is of the age where, you know, they, their doctor might be recommending that you can, you can learn, you can get true and for informed consent from reading that book. So that's one that I would highly recommend.
0: Great. And then what's your go to breakfast? So as a busy mom, who's working, who's health conscious, what would you typically have if you're a breakfast person?
1: I am breakfast is huge in Chinese medicine. Again, it's that, you know, stoking the digestive fire, which we talked about earlier. So the non negotiables for me are a warm breakfast and a cooked breakfast. So that might look like um, that might look like oats with, you know, some type of a like a nut butter or frozen blueberries or you know, the the condiments or, you know, the sprinkles in kind of vary, but so, um, some type of a warm oat congee type dish or like eggs and um, sauteed veggies. So I, I love to do either one of those. I'm a breakfast
0: person as well. When people say they don't like breakfast food, I'm like, what?
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't
0: yeah. need to be like a specific breakfast food either. I'm sure like Chinese medicine, they promote like just eating people have soups and things or fish yes. or meat in the morning and that could exactly. be one of the best things that you could do um definitely over having a bowl of cereal first thing. oh yeah
1: right i try to prioritize with breakfast making sure that you know there's protein fat fiber all of those components are in there and from a chinese medicine perspective foods that are spleen nourishing so that'd be warm and cooked and then whole foods really and
0: then very last question before I let you go is where can people find more from you online? I'm not sure if you're working in person with people, if they're in the same state as you or living locally, or I know you do online work as well. So it doesn't really matter if they're not nearby, just so you can plug, plug where they can find you.
1: Sure. So I hang out on Instagram, the most, uh, my handle is at connected healing Katria. I'm on there I talk on stories just basically every day and I'm most active on there. I am also on Facebook as well. Um, my, I, my clinic, if you happen to be local, is in Southern Wisconsin and I am taking new patients there. I'm about to reopen my online availability for virtual clients as well. I uh, just moved over the last few months. I transitioned to a new clinic space. And so I, I had, to, had to draw the draw the line and close my virtual books for a while so that I could take care of myself while I was making that transition, but I'm ready to open that back up in just a week or two. So that's coming. So Instagram is a great place to start. And then from there, you'll find links to my website and all, all of my other places where I share information.
0: Yeah, you make really good reels or TikToks, videos, thank like you. short little snippets, I really enjoy them. Um, and you. it's great to connect with such a like-minded practitioner as well. So I wanna thank you again for your time, this has been fun.
1: Yeah, thank you. I Yeah, so much fun, I was so happy to be here. Thank you so much.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes. And all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.